just sharing all the knowledge that's been passed on to me is what I'm loving at the moment of passing it on to the next generations of chefs, like training people, teaching people, um, and just letting people be themselves at the same time too, not forcing them to be someone that they're not wanting to be like. It's like, guys, you do you, but do you at the best you can. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The discussion about the peak of gastronomy is often about blinding technique and precision, but one can find as much beauty in a rustic approach to food too. A rustic approach should not be confused with casual or lazy. It's an art to be bastard. James Elliott is the head chef of Wildbridge. James, how are you? Good, Huck. Thanks for uh, having me. It's good to get you, good to get you on the show. How are things there at the moment? Uh, good. Be uh, enjoying a day off today in Sydney, so it's uh, nice and sunny and not too cold and windy like it's been. But yeah, it's good. Tell us a little bit about uh, Wildbridge. I know you've only been there a few weeks, but what are you guys doing? Okay, so uh, Wildbridge is owned by the uh, Sydney Co., which was uh, Brett Sargent and James Wicks, who used to be part of Sydney Collective. Um, with the culinary director who was over there, David Clark. Uh, so basically they had an offer on the table to take over Whale Bridge from Sydney Collective and they saw an opportunity in a great venue, which it is, it's, let me tell you, one of the best views in Sydney, especially from a kitchen. It's unbelievable. Every day I get to look at the Harper Bridge and see that beautiful site out there. Um, down at Whale Bridge, so our approach to food is, uh, our, uh, how can I say this, uh, French style but not too French at the same time. Um, so we have some of the classics of like your souffle, um, your gnocchi Parisian, your mussel fritz and steak fritz. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, simple food, done great, well executed, nothing too crazy, which is what I love about it. Uh, as you mentioned, the, the views are absolutely astounding. I had a look at a photo this morning from the outdoor eating area. It's just breathtaking, the views there. But what, what's it like trying to manage the clientele of a site that leans on a venue, on, on, on a view so much like that? Um, it's crazy, to be honest. So um, I've just had my first taste of what summer is going to look like with the long weekend that we just had. And it's just crazy. Like... People will come out, rain, hail or shine. And to a venue that where, you know, if it rains, we really can't sit much, people will still come out. And it's it's a good problem to have, don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah, to, to handle it the way we do, we have a great team front of house and back of house. Um, the guys pretty much at front of house, they're running the show and we're the instrumental in the back. Like the way they're... They're sitting the people, the organizations, the communications. It's everything's on board. Like also to, um, which is a, can be some of a disaster for some people, but we can see when the lines are lining up as well from the kitchen, which I try and get everyone in the kitchen not to be looking out at the Harbour Bridge at that time when you see about 60 people lined up ready to come in on a sunny day. But no, it's a well-oiled machine. They've definitely got everything down pat. So, Yeah. The, the lure of those views and the sort of times that people can have on the harbour there, does that, does that affect the sort of creativity and the approach that you have on the menu? Um, yes and no at the same time. Um, I believe like what we're doing right now, you know, making soufflés twice cooked. Uh, we're breaking down our own protein, which is very rare for a venue that does the volume we do. So we're getting whole chickens in. 
breaking them down ourselves. Uh, all the meat comes in, in boxes, we're breaking it down. So we do have it managed to a point where we can. So it's not really restricted much with the volume that we do for the clientele and the numbers we get in, but it can be if we still pick up a bit more in summertime. But I guess that's a good challenge to have. How far can we go before you got to change something? So... You mentioned you got your first glimpse of what summer's going to be like uh, there on the water. Give us give us a sense of the scale of what's happening there. Like, how many staff does it take to orchestrate it, and how many people are coming through the venue as guests? Okay, so I guess from looking at the long weekend, having Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, uh, for us in the kitchen, it's a team of fourteen minimum for the day um, that we needed for those massive days. Um, but obviously that was a breakdown of like, we'd have four guys come in the morning, you know, do at like a early till mid afternoon shift, sort of set everything up, get going. A few guys will come in a bit later from like 10 till nine, and then you'll have people in the afternoon. So we try and break it up as much as we can. So we're keeping everyone fresh, not running anyone down and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, look, trying to manage that after seeing that on my first weekend, we got through it. Um, it always came with the havoc, though. We had one or two people call in sick, and it sort of throws the spanner in the works. And I can tell you, after cooking for 17 years, I've never been so quick on my feet to figure out a problem with the volume of people we were doing. Like, I think on the Saturday, we did maybe five, 600 people by from 11 o'clock by, I'd say, 5.30. And then from 5.30 onwards, obviously, with the Opera House being on and all the matinees and all the shows, we probably did another 300 covers after that. So it's 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 pretty big scale, um, which is something that sort of doesn't scare me. Funny to be saying that on a phone, but after working at Toddy's in Bondi, it's seeing numbers like that, it doesn't scare me so much. But for a few people in the kitchen, you could see they were a bit rattled, but they're like, we made it through. So I guess that came down to the team, you know. So obviously only just taking over and being a month in. Um, the team I've come into are great. They all know each other. They jump in. The camaraderie is unbelievable. Um, and, yeah, it's great. Uh, I want to explore what you're doing there in greater detail in a little while, but take us back to when you were young. Where did you grow up and what sort of role did food play for you? Um, so I grew up in Cronulla, uh, the Sutherland Shire. Food growing up for me, this is funny when I say this because it's so funny, you know, how I became a chef. Food, I was a very picky eater. Um, you know, I was not adventurous, wouldn't try anything. I was that little kid that'd be like, I'm not trying mashed potatoes, but I'll eat French fries. It's, it's hilarious. Um, my grandparents and my parents this day still say, how are you a chef? We couldn't get you to eat anything. And now, now I eat everything. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, food wasn't a big role until sort of I was in high school. Um, obviously high school for me, you know, I wanted to get out early. I wanted to explore the world. I thought, you know, what can I do? And um, my parents were like, well, if you don't have an idea of a job, you're not leaving it. So obviously I, I stuck it out in year 11. And obviously you, you choose your electives, like you can choose through your electives. And hospitality was like, well, you know what? This is going to be an easy class that I can just, you know, walk in, walk out, have no connection to, but it will give me a good grade to continue on. And funny enough, I fell in love with cooking in high school, like the understanding of, you know, this is what you start with, this is where it is in the middle, and by the end, this is what you have on a plate. I was just like, this is unbelievable. And it just, it sort of just hooked me from there. Like, 
I probably spent honestly another four or five months in school after that. And by the summer, I think it was 2007, 2008, I was out into the world of cooking. I found an apprenticeship and jumped straight in and haven't looked back since. Take us into that apprenticeship. Where did you get your foot in the door and what was it like in that kitchen? Uh, so my first foot in the door was a place called uh, Fratelli del Mare. It was down in Cronulla. So it was run by this guy called uh, Paul Brennan in the kitchen. Uh, he was known as Big Ben. He was a big English boy and, my God, he was sort of like a Cronulla Gordon Ramsay, if, if I could explain it like that. Um, if Paul hears this, he'll probably give me a phone call later and be like, what are you doing to me? Um, but my first experience in the kitchen was very surreal. Uh, to what I thought I was getting myself into. I thought, oh, you know, if this is like high school, I can just cruise through this, you know, make my way. But um, Ben taught me a lot about being on time, about being respectful. You know, for the first six months of my apprenticeship, I wasn't allowed to touch a knife. I was learning from pot wash. He's like, if you can take care of pot wash, you can take care of a section. And I was like, what's this guy talking about? I didn't sign up to wash dishes. I signed up to pick up a knife and, you know, call a path. But but funny enough, what it showed me was that if I could keep pot wash tidy, keep it organized, keep it efficient, then when I touch any section in the kitchen, it's the same protocol. And it was unbelievable. Like I was there for two years and in the two years there, I was learning how to make stocks by my second year. I was breaking down proteins and understanding the whole produce of like no waste of anything that you can't use. We're putting into a stock, you know. Um, anything that's, you know, on the verge of, you know, what is, what is this? Like, what can we do? Let's special it quickly. How good can you make it? You know? And it was just, yeah, it was, it was great. It was unbelievable. You've worked at a, a lot of incredible restaurants, but as you started to build your career, who were the really important people and venues that you've worked at? Um, wow. Well, I guess the first one for me would be Alex Herbert when I went to Bird Cowfish. Um, yeah, so that, I feel that was a bit of a pivotal moment for me transitioning from living in Cronulla and working there most of my, uh, career to bird cow fish. Um, when I stepped into that kitchen, I was so intimidated. It wasn't funny. Um, people running around, you know, going crazy, like produce just everywhere, everyone, you know, doing their thing. And I was like, what have I got myself into? I'm not, I can't be here. I've got to go. I've got to go. But by the time I ended up doing my trial, I saw a completely different world of, you know, Alex was going, she'd just come back from um, the fruit veg market that morning in her little V-dub and it was full. And she's like, right, guys, everyone out the front, we're pulling everything out. And like just some of the produce I saw coming out and I was just like, what is all this? And she's like, this is from the fruit veg market. This is, this is how we roll. Like we don't have a supplier. I go every day. I bring it in every day. You know, she's like, I take a chef with me sometimes, sometimes I don't. And I was just like, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to stay here. I can't go anywhere. I can't go anywhere. And, um, by the end of my trial, um, I was like, all right. I was like, what do I do to get a job here? And she's like, you've done what you needed to do. You've shown us initiative. You've shown us your passion. When can you start? And I'm like, I'll start tomorrow. And, um, the next day I was in the kitchen working there and, you know, at the time, funny enough, when I was working there, um, there were some great chefs like the sous chef there, uh, Megan Blackwell, James Parry was there at the time as well. Um, yeah, there was just, it was the 
the kitchen talent there when I was there was just unbelievable. Like some of the best people I've ever worked with, like it's unbelievable. Like the attitude Alex had towards cooking really brushed off on everyone in that place. Like there was no throw it in the bin. It's what can we do to use that in a stock? Can we make it into a soup? Can we use it somewhere else? Like the sustainability and fresh produce approach to what she had was just unbelievable. What was she like to work with in the kitchen? Do you have any stories of, of working with her in the kitchen? Look, one 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 thing I'll always remember to this day, and it, it still gets me sometimes, is I would remember some days we'd be set ready for dinner at 5 o'clock and Alex would walk in the door, 5.05, we're changing three dishes, let's go. And we're all just looking at each other going, um, yeah, chef, straight away, we're all running around frantic, people are sitting down, dockets are coming in and we're changing like garnishes on the fish and we're changing what the pasta is or we're changing what the salad is or a dessert and we're just like, what is going on, guys? But I think that was the best thing about there because it kept us on our toes. It kept us, you know, all right, what's going to happen? Are we ready? What can we do last minute? And it was unbelievable. It was great. Not that you see that happen that much these days or at all, but yeah, it was it was unbelievable. You've worked at so many uh, amazing venues there in Sydney. What's been the really sort of key ones for you? I guess a real key one for me would be Three Blue Ducks. Um, so that was three years of my life that was the best. So when I started at Three Blue Ducks, uh, Lauren McKenna was the head chef. Um, when I applied, it was for a sous chef role and there was three of us. So funny, I've never worked in a venue with three sous chefs before. So we'd have one for breakfast, one for lunch and one for dinner. And it was just like, it was crazy every day, but it was fun, crazy. Like, you know, we would all get in and help each other, no matter, you know, if I was on a dinner service and the guys at lunch were needing a hand for their prep, I'd be like, all right, guys, what do you need done? And everyone vice versa. And there is more like a family instead of a kitchen team. Like we were all in it together. Um, I guess also to having a chance to work with Darren Robinson and Mark LeBroy was unbelievable. Um, yeah, I guess my time there, what I, what I take from that, the most was when we got a chef's hat at dinner time for the restaurant. Like it was unbelievable to see what it was like. And I'd never been in a situation like that where it's like, you know, I didn't think we were trying for anything. I thought we were just doing great food, having a great time. And then you come in and they're like, Hey, we got a chef's hat. And you're just like, so what does that mean now? Are we going for two? Are we going for three? And they're like, no, we're just telling you it's a chef's hat. Just don't get too excited. Don't turn the menu into, you know, a tasting menu or something like that. And you're just like, okay, guys, no worries. We'll settle down. We'll settle down. Um, but, yeah, Three Blue Ducks for me was a real pivotal moment. Um, it really helped me set myself out for the next four or five years of my career. So, yeah. Well, and a lot of that included Nomad and Chiswick as well as Otties. Um, what, what did you take from those experiences? Um, so after Three Blue Ducks, I went to Chiswick and Chiswick for me was something I've never seen before in my life after working at Three Blue Ducks and a few places before. Chiswick was a monster of a place as in the production we had to do day in, day out. I had never seen anything to a volume that big before, but also with the care of our produce. And I guess that's where I took a bit more of the fresh approach again after working. Like I hadn't seen anything like that since bird cowfish. Um, 
but I got a chance to like work close with the gardeners there and our seafood suppliers and our meat producers. And I really got to understand the product a lot more. So in a venue that size, obviously, you know, at the time when I was working there, we were known for the, and they still are like the Moran lamb shoulder and the whole roast chickens and the whole fish and using the fire and the wood fire oven. And it was just unbelievable. Like the, the times there, like, it's actually quite scary now to think about. I was do- we're probably actually doing the same numbers as I was doing at Whale Bridge, but on a, I wouldn't say refined scale, but more of a, um, not more of a niche approach to what it was. Um, at the time, though, I did work under a great head chef, uh, Tom Haynes, who's over in Perth now, and Tom was ex Aria, and Tom honestly showed me the most I've probably taken from a kitchen in my time of, you know, breaking down what is it going to cost us to put it on a plate? Where's the wastage on that? You know, all the sides of the stuff of, yes, I knew how to cook, but did I know properly how, what are we wasting? What's going in the bin? Like, what does that actually cost us? And um, it was a hard time, but I took a lot of, you know, I think my management skills improved a lot, understanding cogs improved a lot. And by the end of it, understanding people tom was great with understanding people like obviously we're all individuals and we all have our own little nooks and crannies but tom had a way of understanding anyone in the kitchen no matter what the problem was he could be like if he walks in in the morning and a certain hello is not like he normally gets he would be like all right there's something wrong or if someone's super happy he's like all right what are we getting out of them today let's like give them something else and they're ready for a challenge and it was just unbelievable it was great you, you briefly mentioned Totti's sort of near the top of the show in regards to volume. What was it like working, um, you know, in a group as big as Maryvale, but also with someone sort of left of centre of that in regards to like Mike Eggett? So funny enough, I first met Mike when I was working at Three Blue Ducks and he was doing his pop-up with Gemma Whiteman, uh, Good Luck Pinbone. One night, me and Daz went in for dinner and I became good friends with Mike, always stayed in touch with him. And um, funny enough, he was like, you know, when Toddy's had just opened six months and then he, um, he sent me a text message like, hey, mate, what are you up to? And I, at the time, I was uh, still with Solitel. I was doing a little, you know, helping him develop a few little pubs and uh, little restaurants. And I was like, oh, look, you know, just doing this, this. And that. he goes, look, if you want to challenge, you know what I'm like, do you want to come down to Toddy's? Let's have a coffee. And I went down and I had a coffee with Mike and Mike was like, look, you probably already know this place is huge. We need bodies in there. But he goes, you also know I'm, like you said, he's left field, Mary Vale's right field. He goes, so you know what I'm like, you know what it's going to be like. And I was like, you know what, Mike, I'm up for it. Let's do it. Let's let's throw myself in the deep end. And um, I guess, you know, Mike being Mike, you know, left field. He he sort of became middle field at Maryvale where he he would push the boundary a little bit but not too far where we would get in trouble with things. But when I say that, I mean like, you know, dishes and stuff like that. But um, look, working at Toddy's, I, I can't believe what something that was just meant to be a pop-up turned into a permanent thing and now you look at it, it's like five locations and it, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, but, yeah, when I was working there, we were – production was just crazy so we did everything in-house we would be making like 40 kilos of braised lamb shoulder every day we would be cooking off like 50 smoked chickens every day and it would just be the same thing every day because it was so busy and it was great though too because 
the product had been done properly so there was no shortcuts there was no nothing we were doing it the proper old school way like there was no shortcuts if we couldn't have something on the menu we subbed it out and put something else in which was good because mike was very flexible mike's like you come in the morning go through the menu is like all right well you've only got 10 portions we'll change it to something else and it was great because it also gave us a bit of creativity as well with specials mike's like you want to put a pasta special on have it ready by 10 a.m let me try it and we'll put it on and it was great because everyone in the team would be involved. It just wouldn't just be one person. Like a sous chef would be, everyone would like have a touch in it, have their opinion, have a say. And it was great. Like it was unbelievable. We've had uh, Mike on the show before and he's a very entertaining, uh, quick-witted person. But what's, what's he like to work with in the kitchen? Um, look, when the going gets tough, Mike Mike pushes on. So Mike's Mike's one of the chefs I've I've never seen, no matter how busy you got, he was still calm and collected, like, but like you said, he's quick-witted, so he would chuck a little quick-witty joke at you if you weren't going quick enough. You'd be like, come on, guys, this is snail's pace. What's going on here, you know? Um, he also, yeah, I guess, you know, Mike being quick-witted in the way he was, that sort of helped the kitchen as well with that banter he would give, would help us all along, you know, you, we could be down and still got 300 calories to go and Mike would just be like a breath of fresh air, you know, something quick, something banter or even like he'd just go out after a service and he'd come back in and he's like, guys, thanks for a hard day's work. Here's some cold drinks or something like Mike was, yeah, Mike was Mike. <laughs> <laughs> How did the opportunity with Whale Bridge come about for you? Um, so with Whale Bridge, funny enough, I was already in a role uh, with the guys from Love Tilly Group. I was looking after two venues for them at the time and I was approached by um, by a recruiter. I wasn't looking, so I had a recruiter reach out to me and they're like, hey, look, we're seeing what you're doing at the moment. Would you be interested in a job? And I was like, no, no, leave me alone, leave me alone. Um, it sort of became a bit repetitive for a bit. And then they were like, look, we've asked you like a couple of times, just go in for a coffee, meet David, and if nothing comes of it, nothing comes of it. And I was like, okay, look, I'll go for a coffee. Not thinking anything would come for it. I was like, look, I'll go in, I'll meet David. Um, and I went in for an interview with David. And what can I say? I felt I clicked with David from the start. He's very, you know, quick-witted, straight to the point, uh, good for banter. And I was just like, okay, this is all right. Like, I don't mind this. And he's like, well, what do you think? And I was like, well, you know what, I'll come in for a trial and we'll see how it goes. And I was like, okay, well, I've walked away from something that I said no to for like 10 times. So let's see what happens in the trial. And um, when I did my trial, I was thrown straight in on a section. They're like, all right, this is the menu. You're going to work next to this chef here. They're going to show you everything, jump on in, do service. And I guess what they were looking for in that role was someone that was just going to jump in, make it their own and just let it go. So Obviously, you know, knowing that myself, I was just like, look, I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to let it organically happen. I'll jump in, do whatever I need to do, you know, just be me like I would in any other kitchen. And they were so happy that they turned around that day and offered me the job straight away. Like, hey, when can you start? You know, we want to bring you on board. And I finished up with the guys from Love Tilly Group uh, three weeks later and then joined, yeah, Whalebridge. You mentioned that you met uh, Mike Eggett at, at one of the Pinbone pop-ups, but you have your own pop-ups as well. T tell us a little bit about what you do. Okay, so funny, funny enough, these pop-ups that started happened during the first lockdown in COVID. 
Um, so my partner, so this is it's funny how this story works. My partner has a candle business um, called Hunter Candles. And we were living in a warehouse in May Street where we lived upstairs and she had a little shop front in her production. And we have this beautiful long old school table that was a shoemaker's table. And when when it hit COVID, it was like, first it started off like we were having like family over just for dinner, just to like, when you could still have eight people over, we'd be like, guys, come to our house, we'll set up the table downstairs. And um, my partner started putting pictures up on her Instagram and next minute our, her, her account was going crazy. They're like, hey, we've seen what you're doing. Would you be interested in doing like a dinner for like 15, a dinner for like this? And we were just like, at first I was like, I don't want to do this. This sounds scary because to put it in perspective, I had a two burner stove upstairs and a little small oven that could only cook like one lamb shoulder at a time. So I was like, this is going to be a challenge. Um, and she's like, look, let's just give it a go. Let's see how the first one goes and we can talk about it after. And we did the first one and it was unbelievable. Like it was great. The atmosphere downstairs, um, the food I got to do, people, I think the best part for me was people let me be creative. They're like, you cook you and we don't have no dietary restrictions. And to get that for me was just like, okay, we're doing this. Like this is going to be a thing. And from there, it just it just kept going. Like I think it was maybe we'd be doing maybe two a week. We wanted to try and do more, but obviously, you know, as COVID kicked on and then when we got out of the first lockdown, uh, it went gangbusters. I would be working my job five days a week and on my two days off we'd do dinners back to back um so it it was it was crazy like it was a good time but it was a crazy time i remember there was probably days where i didn't sleep for three days because i was prepping organizing upstairs like our little shoebox upstairs that we lived in we still don't know to this day like we were laughing about it at dinner last night we're like do you remember how you cooked everything out of that small little kitchen upstairs and i'm like i still cry sometimes guys but we did it um but yeah, we've, we still get asked to this day, obviously we've moved out of that warehouse, we're in a different location now and um, my girlfriend, the table's in a shop front on King Street and people ask us all the time, when are you going to do it again, when are you going to do it again and we're like, maybe come summertime, we're thinking about relaunching it again. Um, but yeah, it was, it was great. I think it gave me something during COVID to be creative and help me get through those hard times. Tell us a bit about the food that you were cooking and sort of your approach to cooking. Is there some dishes that sort of exemplify sort of where you're at as a chef? Um, so some of the dishes, uh, I guess it came down to my approach of no waste and using like whole fish and proteins that people wouldn't normally do. So like people would be like, oh, can you do a roast chicken? I'm like, no, I'm not going to do your roast chicken. I'm going to do something better. Like, you know, I'd get like beef shin in and, you know, do it three different ways for them like you know I'd barbecue it then sous vide it then slow cook it and all these sort of things but I guess the things that stood out for me the most was being able to cook with whole fish so I'd be doing like John Dory in a lemon myrtle and saffron broth with vongolet and um, caviar and then finishing it off with warrigal greens and doing like kingfish sashimi with um, pepperberry you know fresh cucumber and then a fresh load of native herbs and just along those lines of like really just keeping it simple but flavoursome and taking things like, you know, from my time at like Three Blue Ducks and Chiswick and, you know, making it my own and even just like some base things and, you know, tweaking them to my liking. 
Um, but the whole concept for when we did it all was, in my biggest thing is always is about shared plates. I love it. I think it's a great thing where it's not only just for the food, but it gets people to interact. Like they just haven't got their own plate in front of them with their dish. It's like they're all sharing everything. They all have an opinion and they all talk, they all laugh and they're not just like, oh, you know, here's your duck with Warara and that's it. You're eating that and everyone doesn't talk. So it was all about like creating a vibe and an atmosphere and bringing everyone together, which is what I'm all about and what I love. The majority of the venues that you've worked at, you know, great produce and linking with farmers and producers is really at the core of a lot of what they do. Well, what's it like where you are now where the volume is so high? Um, how do you manage sort of quality and, and high volume? Um, so I guess with us, now that I've taken over the role, it's really being in touch with our suppliers. So for for our uh, duck legs, we're using Game Farm. So, you know, I'm on the phone to Daniel maybe once a week and we just talk like, hey, what's it looking like? You know, we don't want to go in and just deplete ducks and just take the legs for no reason. So, like, I think we've been pretty fortunate with our duck legs because, you know, we've got other restaurants that just want the crown. So, we just take the duck legs and we're using where we can without just for the sake of using it. So, like... You know, we have flank on at the moment and we're like, all right, this is great because, you know, obviously a few restaurants now, funny enough, are all putting a flank on the menu. But at the time when they put it on, not a lot of people were. So, I was like, it's great. We're not depleting stock of things. Um, I guess a big thing we're starting to look at now is seafood come summertime and what we can do. I think we're going to be looking at being more variety of like maybe it's going to be fish of the day, guys. We're not just going to have one permanent fish and what comes in is what comes in um just to be able to stay more sustainable and relevant to the times instead of just putting on whatever for the sake of it is what we're looking at i know you've only just uh, taken over the role uh, fairly recently but do you have sort of plans for where you want to take the food and the restaurant sort of over the next sort of year or two um so we're currently right now still in talks about all this stuff with the food and what we want to do with the venue but um in my head short term right now is i am training up the team to understand a bit more of the produce themselves so then we can start working with other bits and pieces of stuff that they really haven't been relevant to and making things a lot more fresher um coming with volume i guess obviously you know a lot of people say you got to sacrifice things but we're not going to we're going to be able to we want to give the best product we can give to the customer and if we can't then we'll find something else um i guess the next year or two for whale bridge is looking big from the way it started from when they've taken over in january it just seems every month it's getting bigger and bigger even in winter before I'd taken over, we were going through the records and they're like, winter wasn't even quiet. So um, for a place that size, I guess it's us is becoming consistency, keeping it fresh and keeping it relevant and making sure at the same time we can keep the customers happy, which is what we hope to achieve if we achieve everything that we've set out to do. Uh, well, uh, very much looking forward to seeing where you take Wellbridge as we lead into summer. What, what do you love about what you do? Uh, good question. What do I love about what I do? For me, I think now I've reached a point in my career where I want to now teach people and that's what I'm loving at the moment, you know, bringing in the team and being like, all right, guys, today we're going to break down a fish who doesn't know how to do it and like just sharing all the knowledge that's been passed on to me 
is what I'm loving at the moment of passing it on to the next generations of chefs, like training people, teaching people, um, and just letting people be themselves at the same time too, not forcing them to be someone that they're not wanting to be like. It's like, guys, you do you, but do you at the best you can, and I'll help you where I can. And that's that's the sort of the point where I'm at at the moment and happy to be at, to be honest, after 17 years. I feel like I've I've slowly finding my feet and I'm still learning myself at the same time, which I think is an important thing in cooking, like you never stop learning. Well, James, it's been an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today and very much look f- looking forward to seeing where you take Whale Bridge. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. I will. Appreciate it. Thanks, Huck. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>